0: Alright, that's good. This side is always going longer than this side. I don't know what that is. That's an interesting thing to me. We'll figure that out someday. I want to play a little bit of a game with you this morning. And if you want to, blot, to blurt out your answer, feel free. If you're a little sheepish and you just want to think internally, uh, you know, that Scandinavian, like, keep it inside, that is fine as well. Uh, the game is, is this a Bible verse or not? Bible verse or not, okay? So, love the sin, hate the sinner. Yes or no? Bible verse, yes or no? no. Love the sinner, hate the sinner, no. Uh, God is love. Yes. God works in mysterious ways. No. You guys are really good. Uh, this too shall pass. Think about that. It's not. That's actually a Mike Dicka quote. When the Bears lost in the 80s. God's kindness leads to repentance. God's grace is sufficient. Yes. God helps those who help themselves. No. no, there was a pretty good resounding no on that one. But that quote right there, God helps those who helps. themselves who help themselves is commonly thought to be a Bible verse. So many people in American culture and in the American church think that it's a Bible verse. God helps those who help themselves. And really, it was popularized by American founding father Benjamin Franklin, uh, who got it from Aldrin Sidney, a politician in the UK who wrote in Discourses Concerning Government, That phrase, that that God helps those who help themselves, and his book or or series of writings, Discourses on Government, is thought to be by many historians as one of the main textbooks that kind of created the American Revolution. So, about a hundred years before the American Revolution, this phrase started to started to take shape as people thought, like, how do we better our lives? Well, God will help us if we help ourselves. And it actually goes back further than that. It goes back to the to Greek philosophy, even before the time of Jesus. Many Greek philosophers and a lot of ancient Greek writing is this phrase, the gods help those who help themselves. And as, as heartily as you guys answered it that no, that's not a Bible verse— it so often impacts how we see God in in our American culture and in our American churches. Like, yeah, God is powerful and righteous and good and holy, and he's willing to help, but I better get my act together. I better do some work. I better, I better read my Bible. I better sing. I better pray. I better give. I better do spiritual practices. I better fast, right? We talked about fasting last Sunday. I I should do this stuff because God is more apt to help me if I'm helping myself. But that's very contrary to what the Bible teaches. I mean, the Bible says these are verses. And so I'll just tell you right, right here that these quotes are Bible verses. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are persecuted. God is near to the brokenhearted. While we were weak, or some translations say helpless, Christ died for us. God's power is made perfect in our weakness. And so the Bible over and over and over again teaches the opposite of that phrase, that quote, God helps those who help themselves. No, God helps those who realize their neediness, their weakness, their dependence. And yet... We're not robots, right? We, we we can't just idly sit by and say, I'm helpless. I mean, here's the tension, right? You even feel it. We admit our dependence, we admit our helplessness to God, and, and he saves us, he redeems us, but then how do we grow up in the Lord? Do we continue to sit on our hands and say I'm helpless? And so the tension that we're looking at today is this tension of working and waiting. Working and waiting, like working out our own salvation with fear and trembling, and waiting on the Lord's work, or all these other alternative titles. I couldn't, I, I landed on working and waiting, but all of these titles animated my thinking this week. Trying and trusting, active and passive, striving and resting, doing and being, activity and identity. Works and faith, or, or discipline and dependence. This is some of the tension that we feel as we try to live out our faith. And this morning, the, we're going to look at a handful of texts, but the main one that's been animating my thinking is Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to invite you to stand as I read this short passage Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Philippi in the first century. And, uh, and thank you, Pat and worship team, for leading us through that last song. I talked about what a wonderful name it is right before verses 12 and 13. Actually, let's just look at verse 10. We'll go 10 through 13. It says, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. We just sang that. That's why we're here. and, and as I'm, I'm going to do a sermon while you're standing up, and I'm reading the... All right, I'm going to keep going. Okay, that, so that, that, that's leading into this passage here. So the Apostle Paul is telling us that at the name of Jesus, we will bow, we will be humbled. And then he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work, for his good pleasure. Lord Jesus, I pray and ask that you would massage um, the truth of your word and the mystery of working and waiting, of faith and works, of trying and trusting, all these different tensions, that you would massage the truth of that into our hearts and souls this morning so that we would know when and how we are to work, and when and how we are to just wait for your work to be done. As the Apostle Paul writes here, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. God, I pray that you would help us to understand that tension and embrace it this morning for your glory, for our good, and the advancement of your gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may have a seat. So you feel that tension, right? And this verse is used so often in Christian circles. And just a couple months ago, uh, me and Ben and Kyle were at this pastors' gathering, and we were talking about like the the grace of God, and and the, the grace is undeserved favor, right? God's undeserved favor for us. And and this verse was brought up. Actually, I brought it up in the group of pastors. Was like, yeah, but Paul tells us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Like, we need to participate with God. We need to get to work. And then another pastor was like, yeah, but verse 13 says, it is God who works in you. So which is it? Is it my work or is it God's work? And we feel this tension. We see this tension here in this passage. And oftentimes what we do is we end up falling into ditches, right? The ditch of working or the ditch of waiting, the ditch of working, or, or again, it, it, however you want to, you know, trying, discipline, whatever words you want to use there, this ditch, it, it can be trusting in the spiritual disciplines. Like, rather than trusting the work of Jesus, we can trust our effort, our fasting, our giving, our devotional life. We can fall into that ditch. We can fall into the ditch of working when we attempt to pull ourselves up by our spiritual bootstraps, right? Is that phrase, God helps those who help themselves. I have to get my act together. I need to fall in line. I need to wake up earlier. I need to read my Bible. I need to do all these things. Or or the ditch of working, it's grace. We begin to think it's earned favor. Now, grace, by definition in the Bible, it's undeserved favor. It's favor that you are granted by God in spite of who you are and what you've done. But, but we often think that, man, God's great. Like, I need to earn God's favor. Don't? Don't we? I do. Maybe I'm just preaching at myself this morning, and that's fine. But so often, I do spiritual disciplines thinking that God is going to love me more and better because of what I've done. I'm trying to earn God's favor with my works. The ditch of working is doing for God without being with God. Just duty bound, driven. I'm going to do right, do right, do right, do good, do good, do good, do good. Or it's striving to please God, and God will be pleased with me if I'm able to accomplish things for Him. But then on the other side, there's the ditch of waiting, or that you know it, it could be the ditch of faith or the ditch of trusting. It's not practicing spiritual disciplines. It's like cheap grace taking advantage of god's grace it's learned helplessness in a spiritual funk i can't change so i try i've been trying i've been trying i've been trying i've been working i've been working i've been working i haven't seen results and so i guess i just i'm helpless i'm incapable i'm incompetent i can't do what god would have me do is receiving grace without gratitude or grit Like kind of taking advantage of God's grace and favor. And, you know, this is like easy believism where it's like, yes, I believe in Jesus and now I can go do my life however I want. And it's, I don't know that you're actually receiving God's grace with that attitude, but oftentimes if we don't think about it, like we take advantage of God's grace and we're not grateful for it. And and we don't have any grit with it. Like I'm going to, man, I'm going to. And I think that's what Paul's getting at here in Philippians 2. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. There seems to be some grit there but it's God working in you, right? We feel this tension, faith without works. You know, just, I just trust God, I just trust God, I just trust God. One of my friends recently said, sometimes in the church, it's like, we, you know, it's like you buy some furniture from Ikea, you bring it home, you open up the box, lay it out, there's all the parts, all the pieces, the little blob instruction man, and then you just pray over it. I have faith, God, would this thing just come to be? And that's not how it works, right? You actually have to work. You have to grab the parts. You have to follow the blob, bam, through the steps and put the thing together. And sometimes we're just like, I just have faith, I just have faith, I just have faith. When the answer is right in front of you, actually, I just need to do what I'm supposed to do. I need to follow the steps. I need to do a little bit of work. The book of James says faith without works is dead. So there's not even such a thing as faith without works. They're tied together. Or the ditch of waiting, it's being with God without doing for God, which, again, I, I don't think you're actually with God if you never translate that into doing. But sometimes we can trick ourselves, like, I'm just spending time. I'm not, I'm not holy enough. I'm not sanctified enough. I'm not righteous enough. I'm not good enough yet to do things for God. So I just need to keep reading my Bible, reading my Bible, and sometimes people will isolate. They'll shut themselves out from the world because it's like, well, I don't, I'm not good enough to do these things for God yet. I've got to clean myself up. I've got to do some work. I've got to get better. And then I will go and serve God. That could be the ditch of waiting. Or it's cheapening God's pleasure. Like actually missing out on this deep and connected relationship where we're going lock and step in one another, with one another in relationship with God. This is some of the ditch of working and waiting. And I want to spend a little bit of time just looking at Philippians now. Philippians two. 12 through 13 again, therefore, my beloved, I just love how Paul addresses the church. Beloved, akapete, means that we are chosen, we are loved, we are sons and daughters of God, we are brothers and sisters of one another. When the Apostle Paul uses this word beloved, he's reminding the church that our identity is in Jesus, that we are adopted into his family, and we are sons and daughters who are beloved by God. Amen. And he's also reminding the church that we are beloved brothers and sisters of one another, that we belong to each other, and the posture in which we move towards one another is a posture of love. He says, as you have always obeyed, right? And so there's, there's kind of a word towards working, towards obedience, towards doing what's right. As you have always obeyed, and Paul was a Pastor for this church. He helped to plant it and start it. Now he's writing a letter to instruct them. He says, So now, not only as in my presence, when I was there with you, you were obedient to the things of God. You listened to my teaching and my instruction. As I was sent to Philippi on behalf of God to establish the church, you, you, you listened, you responded to God's work through me establishing the church. He says, So now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Now I'm removed. The church is alive and well, but continue to be obedient to the things that God has taught us. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So what is it, Paul? Am I supposed to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling Or is it God who's at work in me, right? And and we know the answer because of the whole sermon series is this and that. It's yes, both. But I think we need to understand how this works a little bit more. And when we look at this passage and, and try to understand some of these words that Paul is using here, I think it helps give us some clarity. When Paul says in verse 12, towards the end, when he says, Work out Your own salvation, if you're in trembling, that work outward, it means to show up, to labor, to endure, to persevere, to do what's expected, to stay until finished. Just showing up. That's that's our job. He's writing to Christians in a church, and he's saying, you have a job to do. It's to be available. It's not just to show up to church on a Sunday morning, although that is a spiritual discipline that helps us, but it's show up show up in the scriptures, show up in prayer, show up with people, show up for your community, show up for corporate worship, show up and stay, stick around, persevere. And then this word fear, the Greek word is phobos, it's, it's where we get our words for panic or phobias. It's where this comes from. Panic. Fight, flight, or freeze. It can also mean reverence and awe. And so, some people will take this passage to just look at the reverence and awe, like he's saying, "Work out your salvation. Show up with reverence and awe for God." I think that's accurate and true. That's how we ought to show up in community, in Bible study, in our own private devotional life, in corporate worship. We show up with reverence and respect for God and other people. But it also means this this panic, this fight, flight, or freeze reaction that. All of us have in different ways to different things and so i don't want to just say that Paul only means to show up with reverence and awe I think there's probably room here to say man if if you're feeling a little bit panicky, a little bit unsure, when you show up for private devotion, studying the word like i don't i don't know i don 't know if I have what it takes to interpret this rightly i don't i don't know i don't know if I want to go to church and and show up and And when that pastor makes me stand up for 30 seconds and say hi, I I get panicky. That's a phobia. I know that's true for some of you. Like, (sighs) freeze, flight, I want to run, but then everyone will see me. I'm trapped in the middle of a pew. How do I get out of here? And, And I think Paul is inviting us, show up, right? Work out. It means to show up with your fear. Maybe today you're feeling reverent and in awe. Maybe you're feeling hesitant. And I don't think it's one or the other. I think Paul is saying, come. And trembling, I think this takes it even deeper, right? So he says, show up with fear and trembling. And this Greek word for trembling, it means used, this word, in in the first century, it was used to describe the anxiety of one who distrusts their ability to meet the requirements. That could create fear. It could create reverence and awe for a holy God it could also create fear of like, what if this holy God doesn't accept me? I haven't been working very hard. I haven't been very righteous. I haven't done the right things. In fact, I've done the wrong things. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we looked at Romans chapter seven and Paul says like, why do I keep doing the things that I hate and I can't do the things that I want? And as you show up, you might feel that. Like I've been unfaithful. I've been a wayward child. I've been disrespectful to God and and, I'm trembling because I'm not sure that I have the ability to meet the requirements. And here's the truth. None of us do. God's standard is holiness, perfection, righteousness. In and of ourselves, we don't have that. Now, we know the gospel, it's been imputed to us by Jesus. We now are seen as holy, righteous, and blameless. But if we forget the gospel, and we often do, we show up thinking that I'm trying to earn God's favor, earn God's love, earn God's respect, and I'm falling short, and ah, there's this, this trepidation, this trembling, because I, I don't know if I belong. Some of you probably feel like, man, I don't fit in with the people around me. They seem holier than me, or I seem a lot holier than them. Maybe we should be in separate churches. Should they even be here? Should I even be here? Like this this internal battle. Do I belong? Can I I meet the requirements? Can I fit in? And then this trembling word, it's shaking due to weakness. And then when Paul goes on to say, so, so work out your own salvation. Show up. Stick around. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. And then this word, work, is a different word, and it means energy. It's, it's to be at work in, to accomplish, or to, to energize. It's like when you plug an outlet into the wall, and all of a sudden there's energy. When you flip a light switch on, all of a sudden there's energy. Like, we turn off these lights, all the elements are here, right? Right? but you flip the light on and there's energy. And that's what God is doing in us when we show up. And the invitation here is to show up as we are, with our fears, with our phobias, trembling in weakness. It's like um, when I first moved to St. Louis Park years ago, We, my wife, Brittany, and I, between us, we were working three jobs to try and raise support, plant a church, and uh, we were building managers at the apartment complex just down the street here, and I was also working at Caribou Coffee, and I had to be to Caribou at 4.30 to get started and open, and I loved working the opening shifts. Uh, But during the winter, in this, the winter that we were in the apartments, there was a ton of snow. We just had, like, record amounts of snowfall. I wish we would have had this year. Uh, But it was my job to shovel the sidewalks. And so I had this tension that I had to live with. Brittany was pregnant at the time, so she wasn't a lot of help shoveling. She's super strong. She can shovel better than me. But like, do I want to send my pregnant wife out to shovel? Probably not. And so I had this tension where on snowy mornings, I had to get the sidewalks clear because the apartment owners would get mad at me if my job wasn't done. But I had another job to do from 4.30 until usually 11 a.m., And that was go to Caribou Coffee Shop and make coffee and do that whole thing. And so I would often wake up at 3.30 or 3, shovel all the sidewalks, hope it wasn't snowing, you know, still. Like, there were a couple times where I'm like, it's still snowing. What are we going to do? I would call a friend and be like, hey, could you go shovel the sidewalks? I'll give you a little bit of money. And so that's kind of how I did it sometimes if snow was still coming down when I was at Caribou. But I would wake up at 3, shovel the sidewalks. And at this time, I wasn't sleeping very well either because three jobs, trying to plant a church, second kid on the way, living in an apartment, like just feeling a lot of stress. I was actually having night sweats every night, waking up in the middle of the night. And so I I would like, that was my level of sleep. And then I would wake up at three o'clock, shovel, I would go into Caribou and like, I'm so tired. I don't have the energy to get through this shift. And then all the things that I have to do after this shift, I... I I don't have what it takes, right? Trembling. I, I wouldn't usually show up trembling, but like I would just feel drained. And so, you know, the first thing that I would do when I got to Caribou before we opened up the store as we're getting everything ready, I would pour a couple of espresso shots and take them. And every analogy breaks down, right? But this would help to energize me to get through the day. Now, there's, there's a negative side to that. But, but this is similar to what Paul is saying happens. This is what the Holy Spirit is and does for us. It's an external source that has been given to us. The Holy Spirit, it's the energy, the wind, the power, the sacred wind of God that has been given to us, this external force that now we have internal within us to energize us to do something that in our flesh we could not do on our own. Think of the Holy Spirit like your espresso shot. Or or like if you're the workout type, you, you you go to the gym, you know that your body needs a certain level of protein in order for you to lift weights, to do the next rep, to do the next, you know, to, to keep going. You, you can't just muster that up purely by willpower. You need the right amount of sleep. You need the right amount of protein. You you need you need external sources to help energize you to get the job done. I've run a couple of marathons, and those of you who are runners, you know this. Like It's not just enough to be like, I'm going to run 26.2 miles. you got to train, so there's work, right? But then when you're doing the run, you have to have carbs beforehand. And then as you're running, you have to hydrate. You, you need to be hydrated going into that run. And as you're running, you, you need supplements, external sources of power and energy, calories, that your body turns into energy so that you can complete the task. That's exactly what Paul is saying here. This is the imagery that he's giving us. He's saying this is how it works. You don't just sit around and wait for God to do his work in your life, but you also can't Work your way into sanctification, into Christian growth, into a deep, abiding, meaningful relation with God. It's a this and that. You show up. You show up with all that you are, all that you have, with fear, with phobia, with trembling, whatever it is. Maybe some days you're showing up like in reverence and awe, you're feeling great, and you know that you're not trembling physically because you know like, man, I don't measure up, but God's grace is good, and so I'm here. Other days you're showing up and you're like, I forgot the gospel. And I'm trembling because I don't know if I belong in the presence of God and other people. And I'm tired and I'm worn out and I have not much to give. Maybe I have nothing to give, but you show up. And God shows up and he energizes you and he motivates you and he propels you. He is your protein. He is your caffeine. He is your hydrate, right? That, that's what Paul is teaching us here. He's saying, this is how it works. We need the Holy Spirit for godly growth. That's what Paul's getting after. It's not just your effort in your flesh, in in yourself. We have a a lady here, Kathleen, who's helping to start a recovery ministry at our church, which we'll talk about more in the future once we get it uh, ready But she says this, and she got it from somebody in this ministry called Recovery Alive, basically the first three steps of any 12-step program, A-A, C-R, R-A, N-A, A, -A, all the A's. Like, here's how you can summarize the first three steps. I can't. He can. I think I'll let him. I can't. He can. I think I'll let him. I show up as I am in my weakness, in my neediness. The the work is for me to just keep coming back. Come to the scriptures, come to church, come to God, come to community, come to people with all of my insecurities, with all of my doubts, with all of my questions, with all of my pride, with all of my arrogance, with all of my superiority, whatever it is. And then trust. I can't. He can I think I'll let him. That's why we so often here at Park Community Church say, let's open up our hands in a posture of releasing. Just releasing. Whatever it is that we're carrying that gets in the way of us allowing God to do his work in us and through us. See, willpower and desire, when we read this passage, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Don't read into that passage willpower, grit. I've got to do this. It's just showing up independence with fear and trembling, allowing God to do his work in us and through us. Like we need food, like we need water, like we need sleep in order to live well. We need the energy, the spirit, the presence of God to motivate us to live well. And what I want to do as, uh, as we close down this morning is just look at a handful of passages. Um, And I'm going to have you flip to them. Originally, I had them all on the screen, but I really like you seeing it in the Bible for yourself rather than on the screen. So I have the page numbers there. If you don't have a Bible, grab a pew Bible and come with me to see this tension worked out in Scripture. We're going to look at about five different passages, and then we'll close down by coming to the table, taking communion and praising God. But I I want us to see this in Scripture a little bit. So we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 30 as the first passage. It's going to kind of help us expand what we saw in Philippians chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 30, starting in verse 1 through 3. Now, in context here, uh, Judah, the southern kingdom, is the Assyrians, the northern kingdom, is after them, and they're going to they're gonna go seek help from Egypt. And here's what God has to say about their plans and their their working, like them trying to take matters into their own hands. Uh, Isaiah 30, verse 1, ah, stubborn children, welcome to church. God loves us, and sometimes he's like, and you're a stubborn child, right? I have children. Sometimes my children are stubborn. doesn't change my love for them at all. And God is a perfect father. So when we're stubborn, he can love us in a way where our earthly parents, whether you have them or you are them, like, oh. God is everything that we can't be and that we wish we had. Okay, so, but he does say, stubborn children, declares the Lord, who carry out a plan but not mine and who make an alliance but not of my spirit that they may add sin to sin, who set out to go down to Egypt without asking for my direction, to take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore, shall the protection of Pharaoh turn to your shame and the shelter in the shadow of Egypt to your humiliation? Like they're turning back to Egypt to seek help from Egypt, forgetting that they were prisoners, enslaved and oppressed by Egypt for 400 years. Kind of saying, don't turn to Egypt. And, and this is what we tend to do as human beings when we think there's a problem. Their problem is the Assyrians are coming after them and they need help. I don't, I don't know what your individual problems are right now in this season of life or our corporate problems as a church, like as we think about the building, whatever it may be, that's not even a problem. It's just a thing. And, and, and it's like, do we trust in our own ability, in our own strength, in our own working, in our own plan, right? Look at verse one again. He says, who carry out a plan, but not mine. If we lose the tension of working and, and waiting, sometimes if, if we're in the ditch of working, like we just want to get things done. We want to make things happen. We want to execute. We, we think we know the best way. I love Proverbs 3, 5, which says, trust not in your own understanding. But how often do we trust in our own understanding? I read a book. I have a spreadsheet. I have a plan. I have an agenda. Let's do it. And, and God here is, is warning us in the midst of our desire to work, to get after it, to, to make things happen. He's saying, seek me, wait on me. Look at verse 15 through 18. He says, for thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning, and this could also be translated as repentance. A couple weeks ago, we talked about repentance. In turning back towards God, in, in returning and rest, you shall be saved. Isn't that fascinating? How does rest save you from oppression, from an attacking army? It's like, no, we got to fight them. We got we to make alliances and we got to get... Strong, and we got to strengthen our military. And God says, in, in repentance, in rest, you will be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. How is the strength of working found in resting? There's some mystery here, some tension. He says, But you were unwilling, and you said, No. We will flee upon horses, right? And isn't this just human nature? I've got a better plan, God. I'm going to get to work. On my own soul, on my own church, on my own family, I'm going to fix this. But you were unwilling. They were unwilling to to repent and to return to God and to rest in quietness and in trust. They will find strength, okay? So... He says, you're unwilling. No, we will flee upon horses. Therefore, you shall flee away, and we will ride upon swift steeds. Therefore, your pursuers shall be swift. A thousand shall flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five, you shall flee till you are left. Like a flagstaff on the top of a mountain, like a signal on a hill. And this is mankind getting to work before pursuing God, or without considering the power of God at work in us. But then look at verse 18. Even in that, even as the stubborn children do their own thing, just hear the heart of God. It says, therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. Isn't that amazing? Like, we're talking about our working and our waiting, but even when we're being stubborn idiots, God is waiting to be gracious. Also, we're, we're called to wait on God, wait on God, wait on God. But and even in the midst of our rebellion and our stupidity and our getting out ahead of God and doing work that we think needs to be done for God or on ourselves, God is waiting. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. And therefore, he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait. For him. Show up in weakness, in repentance and rest, and wait on God and see what he does. Flip over to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4 is on page 1003 in the Pew Bible. And this is a long passage in Hebrews chapter 4 where the writer of Hebrews is talking about the the people of God being led into the promised land, known as the land of rest. And I just love how this passage says this and gets this tension of, of waiting and working together. Verse 8, it says, For if Joshua had given them rest, this is Joshua leading the people of God into the promised land, the land of rest. If Joshua had given them rest, like if the promised land fulfilled everything that they needed... Would not have spoken, uh, uh, God would not have spoken of another day later on. The promised land didn't fulfill their soul's need for rest. So God spoke of another day later on. Verse 9. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Now, don't legalistically say we have to honor the Sabbath. This is talking about a state of soul rest, entering into the rest of God, not legalistically following a day says, there remains the Sabbath rest for the people of God. Verse 10, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Working, waiting. Even God himself said, I, I'm going to stop working and I'm just going to be. I'm going to rest. And so we enter into that rest. We're not Always striving, we're not always working. But then look at verse 11. This is so key and just a fascinating verse. It says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. You feel the tension? Strive to enter rest. Strive to enter rest. And our striving is to enter into a rest given us by God. It's tension, working and waiting, striving and resting. Flip over to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. It says, For by grace, undeserved, unmerited favor, you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, not a result of your effort. This is the age old tension in the Christian life, isn't it? Not a result of your works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Again, this idea, show up as you are in your weakness and wait to see what God does. Flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Again, a part of this sermon series, right is we're just kind of getting small chunks of verses, and I prefer to do the whole context, but we've been in John for like a year and a half, and I just feel the need for us to get a bigger picture of some of this stuff that's happening in scripture. So here in first Corinthians fifteen it's an incredible passage about like our resurrection body and what happens at death. you've probably heard this passage read at a funeral, and uh we don't have time to get into all that, but just pick it up in verse fifty seven it says "Thanks." Be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a victory. It's been accomplished. It's been done. It's been won. Therefore, because of the victory that we have in Jesus Christ, therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast. There's some working, right? Some showing up. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in whose work? In the work of the Lord. See, there it is again. We show up. Be steadfast and movable. Be present. Stay. Persevere. Show up at the gym, whether you feel like it or not, and then trust that those supplements, that external strength that you took, will kick in. This is how it works. We, We show up. We stay. We persevere. And the Spirit of God works in us. It's His work always abounding in the work of the Lord, not in the work of the flesh. Knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. We work and we wait, we show up. And then the last passage here that I'll close out with as we go to communion, Luke 13, 6 through 9. We looked at this passage a couple of weeks ago, and I just want to close down this morning with it because it's so fascinating to me, and it's just It has so animated my own soul and how I think about my own growth and how I think about the growth of the church and God's heart for our growth. And he, Jesus, told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered, remember, the vine dresser here is God. Here's God's heart, God's approach, God's perspective. The vine dresser answers him. Verse 8, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. What Jesus is telling us in this parable is that regardless of our fruit, God's heart and desire and approach towards us is to continue working on us and waiting on us. Remember that passage from Isaiah 30? Like, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. This parable is saying that regardless of the external behavior, the external fruit, your good works or your bad works, God's not done with you. He's saying, let me play in the dirt. Let me tend to this. Let me give some fertilizer. Let me give some water. Let me, let me, let me cut some branches back so that the sun can get to this. Let's see what will happen. And so church, I want to remind us that as we show up, as we are, fear and trembling, God is doing something in us that we could never do on our own. His desire is for you. His love is for you. His heart is to mend your wounds, to tend to your soul, to care for you. And so we show up as we are, fear and trembling. And we trust that as we show up as we are, God is doing more work than we could ever ask or imagine. And that God is being patient as he tends to our soul and the fruit will eventually come. Amen? Let me pray. Jesus, I thank you for this last parable, which just shows us this nature of your heart for us, your desire to tend to us. Um, Lord, and like that tree is very passive to your work. Lord, at times we are just passive. We just are where we are, but that that uh, that work was up to you. But Lord, also like that tree was planted in soil, I pray that we would show up and that we would stay planted in the rich soil of your community, your word, your people, your grace, your gospel. Lord, everybody who's here this morning has showed up. We've all showed up in different stages on the journey, but I pray Now, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would work in us and through us, giving us all of the energy of God. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive and at work. So even as we come to the table and as we feast on the gospel and we remember Jesus, the Son, who lived a perfect life and died a sinner's death and overcame sin and death in the grave and has now granted us the same Holy Spirit that he lived by, I pray that we would be nourished by this reminder of who you are. We ask in your name, amen.